We're starting a, a new series today uh, for the next six weeks. We're going through this new series, uh, which we're calling God's Self-Portrait. We're looking at some attributes of Him that He has revealed about Himself in the Old Testament, and uh, we're going to pull out those so that we feast our eyes on who He is. Uh, it's so important. Sue brought that word this morning about resetting our foundations, realigning to the truth of who He is, and, uh, and that is so much what we want to do. Um, because it's the truth that sets us free. If it's less than the truth, it will not set us free. Uh, and so we want to make sure that we, we anchor ourselves into who God says he is. Um, and who do you say you are? We're not going to anchor ourselves into that. But it's important that we live from a right understanding of who we are. Uh, we've been thinking a little bit in our household in the last few weeks about CVs, uh, you know, uh, for my son, particularly, just thinking about, okay, how do I present myself to prospective employers? What, what do I put about myself that's important uh, that people need to know? Um, and I don't know, probably most of us in the room at some stage have put together a CV or applied for a job or done something like that. And it's important that what you put on there is true. Um, this whole thing of, of identity, of knowing what's truly important and real about ourselves is absolutely vital. What would you consider to be the most important fact about yourself? You know, the kind of stuff you put on a CV is your educational background, uh, your previous work experience, some of your skills, some of your hobbies, some of the things that motivate and, and, and drive you and get you out of bed in the morning. You put some of that stuff on there, and that has its place, but I, I just want you to know that that is totally unimportant. Sorry. It's, that's not the deepest level of truth that is important about you. Maybe it's a little harsh to say it's not, not important. It's, of course, it's part of who you are. It's part of who God has made you to be. But it is not the most important thing about you. Um, A.W. Tozer, um, if I can get this to work. It's, uh, I think the battery might have gone. Can you pop me on the next slide? A.W. Tozer, who was a... Uh, a theologian of the last century, he said this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What pops into your mind when you think about God? What image of him do you carry? If it's not the truth, it's going to lead you into confusion and brokenness and hurt. If you don't believe, as we've just sung, that he is good, that is a foundation stone of theology. And if you don't get that right, a whole lot of other things are going to be completely out of sync. We've got to get our foundation stones absolutely right. It affects the way that you respond to the things that life throws at you. Am I the only one in the room who finds that life throws curveballs? You know? No, I'm not. I know I'm not. <laughs> There's all sorts of stuff that comes at us. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we had one of those things come at our family again. It was to do with my son's employment uh, situation. And we had this curveball thrown at us. Didn't see it coming. And we sat there. And I, I remember myself. I remember the seat I was sitting in in the living room. I put my head in my hands. It was like, oh, no. And after a moment of feeling sorry for him and for myself and for everybody else, um, my very wise wife said to me, hang on a minute, God is not downhearted about this. I went, dang it, you're right. Yep, 
And, and it was honestly, it was that, that little line that, that um, Nicholas said to me that just, just turned my heart. It was like, no, hang on, he is not at all downhearted because he sees the far end from the beginning. He knows every detail of our lives. And in that split second, I had forgotten a very key truth about who he is. And because of that, I'd let despondency and despair and just lowness of spirit kind of settle in here. But as soon as I realigned my heart and said, no, hang on, he is still good. He is still sovereign. He is still the one who has plans and purposes to prosper us and to bless us and to give us life to the full. As soon as I got that into this thick skull of mine, suddenly I was back on a steady foundation. Hope came back again into my heart. And I, I, I just can't overemphasize it enough. This is why we're going to be looking at God's self-portrait. We've got to get some of these foundational building blocks into our lives. Over the next six weeks, Annabelle, the next slide, please. The things that we're going to be looking at is that he is faithful, he is good and true, that he is gracious and compassionate, he is merciful and forgiving, and that he is just and committed to us. If we got those things, that is not an exhaustive list by any stretch. If we got those things into our spirits, deep into our spirits, it would totally transform the way we lived. Totally transform the way we lived. Next slide. I want us to go not just with a concept in our minds, but actually having deep conviction in our hearts that this is true. Because I can skip through life going, yes, God's good, God's good, God's good. And then something bad happens. And in that moment, just like the example I give of, of our own family situation, in that moment, I discover, is it a concept that I have up here? Or is it a conviction that is deep in here? And I look around this room, and I know because I know a lot of your stories and a lot of your histories, I know that we face difficulties. We lose our jobs. We face um, relational breakdown. We, we hit up against all sorts of things. Illnesses come our way. Bereavement comes our way. We hit up against stuff because this life we live is a life that really looks like the twin rails of blessing and battle. And sometimes we know God as the God of blessing, and sometimes we find ourselves pushing through battle, and it is so painful. But it's in those moments we've got to remember, who is he? Because, because of who he is, he will bring us back to a place of blessing and strength, and there's this upward spiral into Christ-likeness as a result. This is who he is for us, and we've got to get it straight into our minds. Today, I want us to look at the God of covenant commitment. This is one of the earliest um, revelations that God brought to Abram. Actually, if you've got Bibles and you want to turn to it, it's a, the, the reading in a few moments is going to be out of Genesis chapter 15. It's a weird little passage that not many of us look at very often, but I found myself drawn to it this week. God is just take it back a second. Don't want to read that just yet. Thank you. But God is covenantly committed to us. He's not just committed because like we, we, we hear and we use this word commitment. We, we recognize that in our society, we can be a society full of commitment issues. Our relationships have, you know, all sorts of commitment issues. I don't know if this person really likes me. I don't know if I've actually got a solid relationship here, blah, 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 blah. And what we tend to do is we take the human expression of commitment 
and we transpose what we've experienced humanly onto the person of God, and we say, well, this is what commitment feels like, and when God says he's committed to me, it's going to feel very similar. No, because he is so much higher, so much higher. He's unlike, this this is what sets the, the, the Christian life apart from every other world religion. Every other world religion says, commit yourself to this God. Make your way in their direction and maybe one day you'll reach, you'll connect to that being. But the the hope of Christianity is that God has taken the initiative. He said, I am going to step in to human history and I, on my terms, I am going to connect with this people. I am going to demonstrate my commitment to the human race one heart at a time, one person at a time. It's not going to be distant and impersonal. It's going to be deeply personal. He is the God of covenant commitment. So this bizarre little passage, let's uh, look at the first bit of it. This is in Genesis 15, verses 9 and 10. Uh, The quote here is from the New Living Translation. So Abraham, just to set the scene a little bit, God has already said to Abraham a couple of chapters earlier that I'm going to bless you, I'm going to make your name great, I'm going to multiply your offspring throughout the earth. But then God comes back to him again and enacts this quite unusual, thoroughly bizarre to our 21st century mind little ritual with Abraham. But in the context of the day, it was actually a very well understood thing. Because in the ancient Near East, at that time, if two individuals wanted to make a covenant commitment together to something, what they would do is they'd go and get an animal, and they would kill that animal, and they'd cut that animal in two, and they'd set the two pieces of the animal on the ground, and then together, those two people would walk between the pieces that had just been cut up, and the blood's all over the place. And then basically what they're saying is, may this happen to me if I break this oath. Okay? So, the Lord told him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Why? Well, don't forget, this is Genesis 15. This is way before Moses, but this is a little precursor. This is a little foreshadow of the whole sacrificial system that God is going to unveil for his people Israel because in the Old Testament sacrificial system, the offering for the high priest was a heifer, was a a bull. The offering for the king was a male goat, a ram. The offering for the general population was was a female goat. And the offering for the poor in the nation was a turtle dove or a pigeon. And so what God is doing here in this moment, way before the Mosaic law ever comes into being, he is saying, I am making a covenant commitment with my entire nation. Everybody is included. Doesn't matter, doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter what's on your CV. Doesn't matter how wealthy you are, how poor you are, where you find yourself in society. I, the sovereign God, I am stepping in and I am making a commitment to everyone. This This covenant is open to all. It is an invitational covenant. I'm stepping in. I want you to step into this with me. Okay? So Abram presented all of these to him and killed them. And then he cut each animal down the middle and laid the halves side by side. Now, before we skip on, this is not a neat and tidy thing. 
first of all, it takes an all, well, I've never done it, but I imagine, probably particularly back then when it all had to be done by hand, to kill and cut a bull in half is a heck of a job. Yeah? And you can imagine the mess that was just all over Abram in the process. He's covered in this bull's intestines and who knows what. And he's dragging this animal apart. And he puts half here and he drags it over there and he puts half there. Then he goes and gets the goat. Then he goes and gets the ram. Then he gets the turtle doves and somehow, you know, spreads them out there on the, on the ground before the Lord. And he's covered in mess and stink and filth. And what God is saying in this incredible moment is just what he was saying in our worship service here. Bring your mess to me. Don't, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to be clean and neat and tidy and look at your life and go, yeah, I've got it all neatly pigeonholed A to Z. It's all there. No. He said, bring your mess. Bring your brokenness. Bring the broken pieces of your life and drag them in front of me and put them on the ground because I want to enter into covenant, committed relationship with you in the midst of all of that. I'm going to walk into this bloody path with you. I'm going to get my feet dirty, covered in the same stink that you're covered in. I am going to engage in your life. You don't have to be perfect in order to come to the most perfect, most beautiful king of all kings. He has made a way for every one of us. We, celebrate this, we celebrated this this morning so beautifully, so powerfully. And as Kate brought to us, even the, even the slightest sin, even the, the smallest failing, and, you know, two hands in the air, I've got more than small failings. I've got more than little, little minute sins in my life as I look back on them. He meets us in our brokenness, and he says, it doesn't stop me meeting with you. I come to you. Next little bit, if you wouldn't mind. Some vultures swooped down to eat the carcasses, but Abram chased them away. This passage just gets more and more strange. When you feel that voice in your spirit saying, bring, bring yourself before the living God, bring your mess, there will be other forces that you will experience that will, will try to come and spoil your devotion. They'll try and come and distract and pull you away from the ability to bring your stuff before the Lord. And if you, you may well be sitting in this room this morning experiencing exactly that. You're hearing my words. You've, you've heard the worship this morning and everything in you is like, I want to bring myself before the Lord. I want this committed covenant relationship with the King of Kings. But there's voices in your head saying, no, you don't. No, you don't. Don't go there. Don't go there. You'll look stupid. You'll be foolish. And these are the vultures. These are the birds of the air that are coming in to spoil this sacrifice and to drag it away and to, to make it seem unattainable. And there's, there's just something, there's something in this that is a reflection of the Christian life. You've stepped into relationship with God, but the enemy is going to come to destroy the purity and the beauty of that relationship. And our responsibility, our discipleship in God is to chase those birds away, to recognize that we have the authority to do so. He has given us 
the ability to chase those vultures out of here and lay hold of truth and recognize that when he says the way is open, come to me, bring your mess, bring your brokenness, you can do exactly that. And you can do it boldly. You can do it courageously. Next little bit. This is testing my eyesight here. So Abram saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. So the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day. Again, this is Genesis 15, way before Moses, way before the Exodus. But do you see again, there's this foreshadowing of the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. As God himself steps down out of glory to fulfill this covenant. And he appears, God appears as smoke and as fire. And this smoke and this fire pass between these broken, bloody carcasses that are on the the ground. Notice something else. Abram does not go through. God does it for him. God recognized and recognizes that you are not equal to stand shoulder to shoulder with him and walk through the sacrifice that is necessary for the wrong stuff in your life. And he says, you know what? I am going to do this for the both of us. I am going to walk this bloody path on your behalf and I'm going to uphold this covenant so that you and I have this perfect, beautiful, committed relationship. He did it for Abram in Genesis 15. He did it again in the person of Jesus when Jesus hung on the cross. Jesus Christ, our living hope. He walked another bloody path on your behalf and on my behalf because his commitment, the commitment of Almighty God to a covenant relationship with every one of us is completely unchanged from the foundation of the world into eternity. He's provided everything. He's done everything. He says, you don't need to. You don't need to be good enough because I'm good enough. This is a covenant commitment that, I, that was my initiation and you have stepped into it simply by saying yes. Simply by saying yes. The broken animals, the blood of the bulls and the sheep and the goats and the pigeons is swapped out for the perfect blood of Jesus Christ that flowed down that cross and all over the ground of Calvary. And that covenant that the Lord made with Abram, the father of faith, is the covenant that you and I stand, sit, kneel, worship in the good of today. It's that same deep, personal, never-ending covenant. And what I want us to do today is just to, in some, some way, I'm just tossing around in my mind, how do, we, how do we really drink this in? How do we really make this not just a nice concept that we go home and we, we say, oh, there was an interesting message today, something about cutting bulls in half and walking between them. And Who cares? Not interested in the concept. 
but my longing is for every one of us to walk out tomorrow morning into the world that we work and live and breathe in with a deep conviction so that when something bad comes our way, we can say with absolute confidence, hey, God hasn't changed. God hasn't changed. His commitment to me is 100%. Absolute. I'm gonna ask the stewards if you guys wouldn't mind just pass around the little funny little pots of uh, juice and supposedly bread. <laughs> I want us in a moment, uh, just, just when, when you get these, just, just hold on to them for me, would you? But I want us to celebrate together as we remember what Jesus has done for us, as we, as we take into ourselves the depth, the wonder, the majesty of the, of the plan, of the, the, the way in which our almighty, perfect, holy God has drawn close to us and said, I am committed to deep, personal, covenant relationship with you. In your imperfection, despite the ways that you have fallen short, despite the voices in your head that would say you're not worthy, I say you are worthy. So these guys are going to just keep passing these around. Can we play the start of the video, please, and just let it run? In your coming, in your going, in your weeping, in your rejoicing, I am with you. I am with you. I am covenantally committed to you. I am for you. I go before you. I come behind you. I go beside you. I'm all around you. I am within you. I am for you. And nothing will stop his commitment to that purpose. We say amen to that, Lord. Amen to that. May we grasp this truth in the depths of our being, in the very soul of ourselves. May we know that this is true, that every time we open our eyes, that you are for us, that your love never ceases to flow towards us, that your acceptance has been won for us in Jesus, nothing to do with ourselves. You have walked the bloody path on our behalf, and it is done between you and the Lord, set down anything that you have been holding on to and saying, this stops me connecting to God. Anything that disqualifies you from coming boldly and courageously into his presence, this is the moment to set it down because it has been dealt with. It is finished. It is finished. The cross has paid for all of it. Do that transaction with the Lord. Say, no more. I'm not going to hold on to this anymore. I'm going to come to you free. I'm going to come to you knowing that nothing stands in the way of your commitment to me. In a room this size, there may well be one or two people, maybe more, who, have, who just hear all these words and know, you know in your heart, you have not stepped into that covenant commitment with Jesus. This is just the perfect, perfect moment to express your desire to know him. If that's you, just wave at me as I look around the room. Just give me a wave. Let me know that that is where you are today. You don't want to leave here without knowing in your heart that you are one with Jesus in this covenant commitment. This is the glory that we walk with in this world. I'm not saying it 
anybody waving at me. Kaz, I, fantastic, love it, love it, fantastic. We want to go deeper in our confidence in salvation. Love it. Okay. On that basis, I believe that everybody else must be in. Jesus, we love you. We just express our delight in being your children today.